welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. Uh, Excited to be back with another episode. Today, we've got another interview with a fellow pig farmer. Uh, This time, we're talking with Jake Miller at OutWest Farms in Oklahoma. And Jake has an interesting twist. He's actually using his hogs in a rotational process, uh, kind of follows the Salatin model, but of course has the hogs incorporated into that rotation as well, which is kind of a unique twist on that. Uh, and he explains how that helps them actually reclaim some uh, some old worn out pasture that's hard pan. Uh, so uh, we'll get into that interview right now and I'll catch you guys on the backside. Tell us a little bit about Out West Farms. Give us the 40,000-foot elevation of what's going on over there. Um, we're a 75-acre pig, cattle, and sheep, and chicken farm. Um, we sell direct to the public. Um, every animal that we raise gets sold by the pound. We go to the USDA inspected processor. That's about two hours away from us. Um, our hogs are fed in non-GMO grain. Um Currently, we're trying to expand for because um, due to the demand that has come lately, almost everybody that I know is either trying to to expand, and so our farm is trying to double our inventory. Right now, we're trying to add in some walk-in freezers to to include that demand, but we're just growing like most pasture farms are right now. Okay. All right, good. There's a there's a lot there. Let's let's back up and unpack some of that. So, you mentioned you're in eastern Oklahoma, and uh, on 75 acres, and you're doing polyculture there. So you're you kind of crossing the hitting the, the the highlights of the protein. So um, yep. how are you uh, how are you balancing your um, all your different uh, livestock, your cattle, your sheep, your pigs, your chicken? Are, are they integrated with one another? Do you have them separate in different areas on that 75 acres? Yeah, we're doing kind of like what Joel Salatin does, the rotation. So we start off with our cattle, and then our chickens are free range. And then we'll come in behind it with the pigs, and we're starting to see behind them. So everything's kind of working together on our property. Interesting. So so you're you're incorporating the pigs into the rotational process with the cattle and the chickens? Yeah, on most pastures, there's a few that um, we won't. But whenever we bought the place about 15 years ago, it was real trashy and it hadn't been taken care of. So a lot of the pastures were just solid ground. There was really no topsoil left. So the pigs have been able to kind of stir that ground up. And between them, the cows and the chickens are able to kind of add more manure and we're starting to build topsoil back onto our ground. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Um, seeing the Salatin model, you know, he keeps his pigs off his cattle pasture, but, uh, but that's interesting knowing that your ground is so, is so rough and so, uh, um, lacking yeah. organic material there. You're actually having them come in and till it up so they can help churn all that in. Yeah. The idea we got from that was from 
Jordan Green. We watched whenever we first started doing this about two years ago. Um, started doing pigs. We saw how he was doing pastures and stuff. Yeah. So we started copying a lot of the things we saw him doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had Jordan on the podcast earlier this year, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So um, so you said cattle, then chicken, then pigs. And, and did you say you're wrapping up with sheep coming through? Or what was the fourth? Uh, the sheep, they run with the cows. Okay. We, have, we don't have a big, a ton of sheep. Our main thing is cows and pigs and a little bit of chicken. Okay. All right. So in that rotational process, are you rotating through um, the same pasture multiple times in the season or just one time? Or how's that, how's that shake out calendar-wise? Yeah, probably, we usually run through there at least two to three times in the, during the summertime. So a six-month period from spring to fall, we'll usually try to – because with 75 acres, that's not a ton of land. Because um, like people like Greg Judy, he'll maybe touch it once a year with cattle, mm-hmm. and he moves on. But since we've only got 75 acres right now, which part of our cattle also run on a run with a friend on his land. So um, we're able to do more with 75 acres with our pigs yeah. and cows. So how many head are you talking between your cattle and pigs then? Uh, right now with pigs, I've got uh, 70 pigs, but probably between now, between now and the first of the year. I've got to get that number because we buy feeder pigs off a friend that we have. So between now and then, I'm hoping to be somewhere around 200. Wow. Because the amount of demand that I've got to keep up with. And then with cattle, we work with a friend that has over 600 mama cows. So we get his calves and we finish them on grass. So right now we got about 20 to 30 steers, but... He also does grass only, so we're able to kind of work with him on the cattle. Wow, excellent! That's that's a that's a big operation. That's a big jump too, from seventy to two hundred head of swine. Yeah, that's a big move. Yeah, and we've been trying because we had just gotten into a big farmers market in our state. So we before this even happened, we were planning on growing because we've only been doing this. We marked our one year anniversary back in february but we started off with only three pigs and we've slowly over the year been building up to um the 70 and now we're about to bump up <laughs> probably 150 200 all right now no, wait a minute we, we got to back up here so you you just started with pigs uh, a year ago and the you know, uh, a year and a half two years ago okay all right so that man that's yep. what a great testament to uh testimony to yeah. uh, to expansion there that that's that's gone that well so so let's back up further uh, do you do you have previous experience in farming is this totally new for you to come from a family of farmers how does this work out i my family is not farmer my my dad is a he's a part of the business he's the whenever i graduated from college two years ago with a bachelor's degree i was trying to find a job and i really couldn't find anything because i wanted to stay around oklahoma mm. My bachelor's degree is in criminal justice, so I can almost everything that I wanted to do was in Washington D.C. 
but I'd always, we'd had the farm, we moved out there whenever I was about 12, and I'd always liked working out there, so I was trying to find a way to make money on the farm to be able to stay around, stay around Oklahoma, and to have a family business with my, with my dad, so I came across Joel Salatin, Joel Saladin's books, and started reading about what he was doing and how he was able to sell meat to the public. So I started diving into that, and I found out that if you got it USDA inspected and all that, that you could sell meat by the pound. Because around Oklahoma, almost everybody does halves or quarters or whole beef. That's how they. That's how people. But then there's a large segment that doesn't have the freezer space. Because in Oklahoma, there's very few um, farms that sell direct, direct to consumers. Hmm. So we started researching how to do that. And then I found out that people would, if they wanted a pound of ground beef, they'd also want a pound of bacon. So we never had pigs before growing up. We'd only done cattle and goats. So I got my first three. I'd gotten large black piglets off a guy on Craigslist about, yeah, I guess it's been two years ago and just started working with them, figuring out how to deal with pigs. And I've tried almost every breed of pig there is trying to find the right one for us. Yeah. And so start off the large blacks ended up there too fatty for what we wanted and our consumer wanted. So then I tried a large black Duroc cross and, that got a little bit closer, but we had started selling to the public by then. Um, got inspected and used a, a local USDA processor, and people were still saying it was a little too fatty. And so we finally got into Berkshire, which is what we use now, hmm. and it's kind of the breed that we want. So over this last year, from when we started, um, We've grown from three pigs to right now on farm. I've got 70. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's great. So so it sounds like there was obviously farming experience in the family. This wasn't uh, two years ago you, you put down a put down a desk job and picked up a, a pitchfork and decided to farm. Uh, so it sounds like you've got some. It was, it was pretty close like that because <laughs> we, we had had land, the 75 acres, but like my dad, he's not a farmer. We might have a few animals. But not neither of us are um, have a lot livestock background, no agricultural degree. Um, it's all from reading and yeah. experience. All right. So, uh, so it sounds like obviously you graduated from college. I'm assuming you're probably in your mid twenties. Is that fair to say? Yep, I just had a birthday. I'm 29 right now. All right, well, happy birthday. So, so looking at that, is is this a full time gig for you right now? So, uh, uh, yeah, family to support that type of thing. Are you working part time somewhere or full time somewhere? Nope this is this is my full time job. Nice. Um, I'm not married right now, but um, I before we had started launched this off the ground and it started being a full time job. I was a manager at a store. Um, but as soon as this really picked off, I quit there and did this full time and it's been almost about the years so, yeah. since we started. Yeah. So you had mentioned chickens and I know obviously we're going to stick with pigs and talk about it. Just, just curious though. So with your chickens, are you doing egg layers? Are you producing broilers? Are you doing both? 
Uh, right now we're just doing laying hens. Okay. But um, I was planning on starting to do uh, meat chickens this year, and uh, started working on it, and then the whole processing processor problem happened. Yeah. So even if I did chick meat birds right now, I couldn't get them because in Oklahoma there's a limit I think of a thousand birds you can do on farm. Right. Yeah. And the birds can't leave the farm, so um, I have to haul them to a USDA inspector inspected processor and there's not one in the state of Oklahoma that does chickens. Yeah. Um, and the closest one is in Arkansas and they're booked up I think until like 2021. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a lot of that going around. <laughs> so chicken, chicken has to wait for now. Yeah. Well, that sounds like you're, uh, sounds like you got plenty to work on <laughs> in the interim. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't sound like you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's talk about the land a little bit because you've intrigued me. So, seventy five acres again in um, in West Virginia. That's a nice tract of land in Oklahoma. That um, I know that's a little bit on the small side. But you talked about it kind of being fallow or kind of being in bad shape. So, give me the history of the land a little bit and lead up to infrastructure you have in place now. Yeah. Whenever we bought the land about fifteen years ago, um, it really only had one old metal barn, which it's. It's still there. We've done a few improvements, but um, the fencing was all broken down and um, didn't have any, because we use electric fence for all of our animals, didn't have any of that ran. So the infrastructure was pretty well, pretty well gone. They hadn't ran animals on it for in probably 30 to 40 years. Because the guy that was there before us, he had just ran the whole property down the house so we had to go in and gut everything and they had just piles of trash sitting in pastures. Um, and the, this isn't on the land, but in this one garage, they had put these old freezers and stuffed them full of meat and then they had just left oh my and abandoned the place. <laughs> so we had one day we had to go in, pull out all those old freezers and that was the, that was horrible. Oh. But the place, just it was just not taken care of and, but we went in and cleaned everything up, and so we've slowly been ex- putting on more infrastructure. We built a bar- we built onto that barn, and we're about to build on a bare storage area for our freezers. And then we bought built some small we buy those porta hut barns for our pigs. That way they're mobile and we can move them around. Yeah. And then we've installed electric fence around the perimeter and every pasture that we run is set is um the word is leaving me but every pasture is with has electric fence um but it's just been a slow process um and we've just been slowly adding more pastures that we run animals because like right now we're only using about 40 40 acres of it the other 35 is about the other 25 35 is a um, valley and then the rest we just haven't fenced yet hmm. wow okay well, that was going to be my next in, in, again being a, um, a west virginian appalachian guy I, you know when i think of oklahoma i think of tabletop flat so um so with the topography of your land you explained a little bit of that so is that 75 acres all usable can you expand to to utilize all 75 or is there some that you're not going to be able to use yeah, we're at, you know, in the part of Oklahoma that we're at, 
the flat areas more in western Oklahoma. Okay. We're in we're kind of in the um, outskirts of the Ozarks. Oh, all right, yeah. So, because um, Cleveland is about thirty-five minutes west of Cle- of Tulsa, so we're in kind of a we got he- we have hills and mm. it's not just flat. So the seventy-five acres it has a valley on it. Our eventual plan is to try to use that valley and put the pigs in there and. But we just got to get that fenced off first. Yeah. But we've got room to expand because they're in our county that we live in. There's a lot of the uh, lease land. So one of the other things that we're trying to work on right now is eventually to get more lease land. That way we can have everything kind of working together and have more land to operate on. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So the farm uh, sounds like it was in, in, in rough shape, and man, I know what that's like uh, when you, when you first got it. But it, it did have electricity, it had water on it, it had uh, was the house livable? Did you guys fix it up? Are you living in the house now? Yeah, the place it wasn't livable whenever we first got there, but we had completely gutted the inside, and yeah, we've lived there for now. It took us about two years to make it livable. We've lived. My family's lived on that property for about 13 years now. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, but the whole prop, like what we use for the animals, we use a well that we drilled probably about eight years ago. Um, But the house uses rural water, but everything has electricity and all that jazz. Yeah, okay. So it sounds like you're uh, you're taking a a rough piece of property that you guys have invested a lot of time and sweat equity in to get that cleaned up and, and it sounds like there's some great expansion opportunities there as as sounds like you're going to need them soon too <laughs> yeah with yeah because it seems like local food is finally getting a chance to um expand and because most of our customers are they've tried it once and we're now getting two and three orders from them from the same customers so wow. all right well, cool. Yeah, I want I want to talk about your your marketing and your your retail uh, uh, points here in a second. Uh, but a couple questions as we get into uh, you, you'd mentioned that you had evolved quickly through breed selection that you started out with the um, uh, the large blacks and, and kind of tested. So so uh, what was your testing on that to land on the Berkshire? Was it just simply feedback from your customers, explain fat content, or did you have other characteristics how they how they worked on pasture, all that? Any other thing that you used in your selection process? No, as far as the pig goes, uh, the large black had probably been easier pig to deal with than to raise. But as far as people's, as far as our taste and customers. Because I could raise the large black, but if people don't want to buy it, then it's kind of for right. kind of for nothing. But we had started selling the large black, selling that meat, and we had thought it was too fatty, and that we'd rather have a pig with more meat because it had a large, a lot of fat on it. And that's okay for some people, but we prefer to because, like with the Berkshire, we've tried them out now and that's pretty much the main breed that we're using on farm and they have a less fat, but they're still, they got good intermuscular fat and it's a good taste and quality. So we've tried large blacks, Durox, 
tried a few blue butts. Um, I've tried a few GOSs. Um, I think that's, I think that's about it. That oh, I've tried a few red waddles. Yeah. And pretty much everything is over that time. I've pretty much decide, we've decided to keep it the Berkshire, but it's not a straight Berkshire. It has a few has Yorkshire in it. And the other breed that he uses is um, land rays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or okay. So, so you you, you mentioned so that was going to lead me to my next question. So, are you working with another farm when it comes to breeding, or are you guys farrowing on farm, or you or how's that working out? Yeah, right now we buy piglets from a friend of ours that mills our feed. Um, he mills our non-GMO feed and we buy piglets from him, but here in the next three to four months, I'm hoping to, I'm looking for breeding stock right now. Um, I'm hoping to get our own breeding stock and cause our amount of piglets that we're starting to go through pretty soon, he's not going to be able to keep up cause he's got a contract with the company that he sells piglets to. So we get whatever extras he gets and we get them. So. Yeah, so you're not, not 100% certain that he'll be able to yeah, make the demand. Yeah, because one day the demand can go up with that company. Since he's got a contract and we don't, the piglets could go to that contract that he's got, and then we could be – it hasn't happened yet, but in the long term, I think it'd be we'll be better off once we start farrowing our own pigs. Yeah, it's good to have that redundancy too. If you, if in the grand scheme of things, if farrowing doesn't go well, or you just don't produce the litters you need, yeah. then he'll he'll be there with his overrun as well. But but I agree, this uh, uh, open ended non contract could could put you in a bind if you needed more at a certain time. Yeah, and plus then we have control for the most part over our genetics and what we're using um, because he raises what we like but we want to try to add in some different breeds to the because we want to do berkshire but then we want to try a few different breeds to see if mixing them with the berkshire makes a better tasting pig and whereas he has to stick to what he's doing yeah yeah exactly all right well you'd mentioned uh non-gmo feed that your 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 pig suppliers is grinding your feed for us so uh Tell us about that process and the genesis of that. What led you to go with non-GMO? Um, when I first started about two years ago, we started just using regular gra- grain that I had at a local um, store. But then customers started continuing. Once we started selling the meat, customers asked if we were non-GMO. And in the state of Oklahoma, there's really nobody, no company that sells locally. The closest that'll sell like bags of non-GMO feed is over in Arkansas. So we started looking around, trying to find someone that did non-GMO that we could buy feed off of because of our customers asking if we were non-GMO or not. So we eventually found the guy that we use for pigs now. We found him through the farmer's market that we're about to be a part of, and they were about to get out. So he... He has a big farm out in um, far eastern Oklahoma, close to the Arkansas border. So we talked to him, and he 
he had always milled his own feed. He gets a lot of the components from Kansas, and they bring them down to him. So then he takes care of a lot of smaller farms, and he'll mill them feed. So we start buying off of him. And so eventually what we want to do is start milling our own feed. But for right now, um, the, the cost of equipment and it just kind of limits us from doing that. But probably in the next one to two years, we're going to start milling our own feed. Yeah. Wow. But yeah. he uses, he uses Milo and a few other things to, but it's all non GMO. He also offers laying hen feed and meat birds, non GMO feed. Yeah. But good deal. So it sounds like customer demand is what pushes you that way. Finding a niche, not a lot of people selling non-GMO raised. Uh, yeah, because yeah. in this state, there's very, there's very, I can think of maybe five or six that are doing non-GMO feed. They either buy from the guy that we're using, or they milk themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so it's, it's all about customer demand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. You gotta, you gotta go with what your market's looking for. So let's yep. let's talk about that market for a bit. So you you've mentioned just now getting in a farmers market. That sounds like that's going to be a big game changer and and the reason you're ramping up. But where else and how else have you been selling to uh, to get this growth that you're experiencing? Um, we we've been doing home deliveries, free home deliveries for the year that we've been open, and it's really taken off with the Corona thing. Um, people really don't want to leave their house, so we have a website where they can go and order directly from us and we deliver it to their home for free. And we've also used our Facebook page, which we have a pretty good follow. We've got almost 7,000, 7,000 likes wow. on our Facebook. So that's how we get a lot of our, um, a lot of people know about us, but our website is also how you can order and we deliver pretty much all of, all over the state of Oklahoma, so like Tulsa, Oklahoma City, since we're pretty centrally located, and we're about 45 minutes away from Tulsa, about an hour and 30 minutes away from Oklahoma City. So it's we've mainly been um, doing everything before we got into the farmer's market. Everything has been through Facebook and our website as far as the way people know about us and word of mouth. Um, but now with the Tulsa Farmer's Market, that'll give us another opportunity to see a segment of people that might have not ever heard of us. Yeah, that's interesting. So I, so I got to ask you some questions about this delivery service because that's an incredible value-added service that even you know, pre-corona, that was, that was, you know, that's, that's a great service to offer. Uh, you know, like you say, right now during the pandemic and in the waning parts of the pandemic, that's still resonating with people. So how does that become cost-effective for you guys? Do you set minimums? Do you have just so much volume that it makes sense when you drive a loop that you're, you're kind of covering everything? Have you done a cost analysis of that? Yeah, we've got an order minimum of 50 bucks. Just okay. that way nobody can be like, well, I want a dozen eggs. Right, yeah. And, but whenever, like today, I'm making deliveries. Um, we'll try to do a central area. So, like, today is Tulsa, and tomorrow is Oklahoma City. So, if, by being in that area, I can hit up in a day. Like, today I'm doing... I think 20 to 30 orders delivering them. Wow. So by doing that amount of volume, it's paying for the gas and with the $50 minimum. 
it's making it cost effective. And now I've got a, we bought a van for deliveries. That's really good, good on fuel. So between those three things, it makes it cost effective. And, uh, and it's a service that I think almost every farm, because we're eventually planning on starting to try to do shipping. That way, if you're outside of the area that we drive to, you can still, because we've got a pretty strong demand for people that are like, if you ever want to start shipping, we'll order. So yeah. in the next, once we got, once we have more inventory capacity, more inventory storage capacity, we'll start trying to do shipping and that'll reach another group of people. But the delivery, most farms will only do, you got to either come to the farm or go to the farmer's market and that's the only way you can get their products. But if you offer the free delivery, then people, it's a lot more convenient. They're a lot more willing to try something that's more expensive than the grocery store if they can get it delivered to their house for free. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's definitely going to resonate more with people. And it was interesting, you talked about shipping. I, I, it may have been Jordan we were talking to. I'm trying to remember who, who we spoke with specifically about shipping, how that's opened up their market. And, of course, uh, Polyface Farms included shipping just in the last year. Um, yeah, the, the, the technology and the, the reduced cost that um, can be found now with the shipping services, getting your product into major urban areas that uh, you wouldn't necessarily have to drive to. So I, I want to talk a little bit about your van because I think it's interesting. I, it seems like every interview we have, there's always something unique about each operation, and, and hopefully people are gleaning little nuggets of, of information from all these discussions. So, so did you... So when you, you wanted to find a van, obviously that was that was fuel efficient. Is this a reefer? Is it is it just something you pack in ice? Do you have a freezer that you keep in it? Explain the van. Tell us what the van is and, and how you have that set up. Uh, we bought a 2018 Ford Transit van. Okay. It's just a little a little van that we can has a big cargo cargo space, so we'll stack our coolers in there and everything's already pre frozen. And with the amount of distance we go, we bag everything. So the coolers, we stack them in here. And that way we can sort through the orders. And that way everything's kept cool with the... Because we had thought about getting a reefer truck. But with how short of a distance we drive for deliveries. But whenever like we go and pick up meat from the processor, we're about to start renting a... Um, there's a company in Tulsa that'll rent reefer trucks to you. Mm. So we're looking into starting to do that because every time we go and pick up meat from the processor, it's way too much to fit in our little little transit van. But for daily delivery, we just use coolers. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how long, you talked about you're doing deliveries today. So uh, how long, how, how long is your day in deliveries to do those 20 plus orders that you have today? Um, I started at about eight this morning to start doing deliveries, and I'll get done at about four or six p.m. Yeah. Since I try to do one one area a day, it kind of limits the area, and I can knock out twenty to thirty orders in that single day. So. I see, and you're even taking time to talk to me right in the middle of deliveries too. So that's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good deal. All the energy of youth. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So. Uh, Okay, so you're processing right now. Um, I still want to come back to this farmer's market, so uh, we'll, we'll stick a pin in that uh, for now. But with your processing, 
how many hogs are you currently processing in a batch? How often are you processing and how, how much is that going to have to step up? Um, right now I'm getting, how many am I hauling next week? I'm hauling eight next week, but by the, it, that's the only, the only reason I'm hauling eight is because that's what they're limiting me to right now. Gotcha. Yeah. But because I can't schedule anymore because they're booked, mm-hmm. but starting in, um, starting the next month in July, I'll be hauling 11 hogs. And by next year, I'm going to be doing either 15 or 20 hogs a month. So, um, and then we do about four to six steers a month. Yeah. So are you finding, so, so you're, you're looking at that monthly, so you're doing a monthly processing run and you, you already answered the question that, that we're running into in West Virginia is just people, these, um, smaller processors just getting absolutely slammed um fortunately i'm scheduled for mine when i wanted to but now they're they're out uh, into winter of 2021 uh in these areas simply because of this demand is getting out of control so it sounds like you've got a good processing system set up there um so you said it's two hours over two hours back you're doing eight hogs this next run uh but you're going to be doing uh, a certain batch each month is that correct yeah, each month we haul a batch of hogs, so it's slow when we, like this past month we did seven, so we're slowly starting to get more dates, so by the end of summer I should be somewhere, I think I have scheduled either 11 or 15 hogs, but our processors are pretty new, they're with the Quapaw Nation in Oklahoma, mm. they were built back in 2016, so they're Almost a brand new facility. Yeah. Wow. So. And they are USDA. That's that's nice to have a USDA processor that close. <laughs> yeah, because it allows me to ship. Because if I just because they're state inspected in Oklahoma, but that would only allow me to sell in the state of Oklahoma. But since I get USDA, it also allows me to start doing the shipping to other states. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's yeah, it's a similar situation in West Virginia. We have state inspected and that's where I'm hanging out right now simply because USDA is so far away and uh and right now they're they're booked. The ones that are available that are reputable are, are booked for forever, it seems like. So Yeah, there's there's a big need for USDA like in our state there's only there used to be four, but now there's only three USDA inspected processors and they're all booked up until like mine, he's now booked up until 2022. So yeah, yeah, interesting. So backing up real quick. So with these batches that you're taking, are you keeping these hogs separate on the farm? Do you have six or seven months worth of of batches of hogs that you're rotating through, or do you have them all integrated and you just know, okay, these are the ones I'm taking, these are the ones I'm not taking? Yeah, we try to run our hogs all together especially the, now once we get sows and start farrowing, they'll be a separate group. But pretty much um, we run all the feeder pigs together. And so we've got a system whenever they start getting to the size that we want, which we process right around 300 pounds, we'll start, we'll pull them off and we just keep adding to that group because it's easier to run them and it's easier to have just one couple of, because we use, um, the Brower field water, so it's easier just to run everything together, run yeah. our feeder together, um, have one big group. 
and then we just pull off what we need and keep the group running. The bigger ones will kind of show the smaller pigs about the electric fence. We really don't have have any escapees knock on wood. Right. But it kind of works out good for us Great. running them all in one group. So your your identification process, I mean, I like the idea of running them in, in one group. Your identification process, are you just eyeballing that and saying, okay, those look like my eight largest pigs I think I'm going to go, or, or do, have you tagged them, have you marked them a certain way so you know what batch they came out of? No, it's pretty just as simple as I'm guessing the bigger ones, and I usually get pretty close to guessing right. So. Yeah, yeah, that comes with experience, I'm sure. But yeah, we just pick the biggest ones. And we haul them, and they're usually because we got it's about every month. I try to buy a new group of feeder pigs to add to the group. Add that way, they're kind of stair step, and that way I've got pigs for every for every month. Yeah, excellent. All right. Well, let's talk about that farmer's market a little bit. So this is going to be a new foray for you. So what what drew you to this farmer's market? Why do you feel it's so critical, and and how are you going to cover covering the market? It sounds like you and your dad are kind of the kind of the linchpins of this. So how are you going to cover that uh, that booth at the market? Um, the reason it's so important is because in the state of Oklahoma, there's a ton of little farmers market, but the farmers markets in Tulsa and it's the biggest one in the state. Hmm. And, um, but the way that we're going to run it is, is we brought on two part-time employees. Mm-hmm. So they help. One of them helps with filling our orders and the other one helps with our farm. So they'll help take care of the chores. And, um, if I've got any projects that I need to be done, he helps with that. And then as far as the packing and delivering right now, we're looking for a, part-time delivery driver that way i can be at the farmer's market on saturday and that way we're still putting out deliveries on saturday and on track during the weekend and then but we're mainly just sticking with part-time employees to help us with the extra work that we have right now yeah yeah so does your dad normally is he managing the farm through the week while you're on the road or how does that work out no my dad, he still has a full-time corporate job. Oh, okay, yeah. So um, I'm handling all the farm stuff, and then my <laughs> part-time employee, he takes care of, like, the farm chores while I'm out. Because he's actually he's a high school kid. Oh, okay. But he, since it's summer break and with the corona thing, he takes care of the morning chores and keeps checking on the animals because he just lives right down the road from us. So Yeah, good deal. Good deal. Well, it sounds like you're you're quite busy. Do you do you get any sleep actually? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But right. It's a good busy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no doubt, man. I'm I uh, I like to I like to hear the growth that you're having. It sounds like you're 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 expanding, but you're expanding wisely. It sounds like you're covering those points. So, so with the farmers market, uh, yeah, in in Tulsa being the largest, sounds like that's definitely a good market to be in. Um, are you are you looking at um, I think you're, it sounds like you're, you're looking at tapping an audience that you haven't been able to tap into yet. Uh, but, but is that going to introduce new product? Or are you looking at, at growing since you've gotten into a, a coveted spot there? Yeah, we're lo- we're adding on the more hogs and cattle. But as soon as I can get get them processed, we're going to add chicken onto the onto the farm because that's something that's probably the most requested thing that we get asked about is chicken because 
since people can buy eggs and beef and pork, the main other protein is chicken. So the only thing holding us back is processing dates as soon as I can get a pro because I'm also looking in Texas and Kansas to try to find the um, processor because eventually what our goal is to open up our own processing plant and uh, start also opening the first poultry processor in Oklahoma. Mm, yeah. Because a lot of the friends that I have in the state that are farming, they're also, because everybody sees the need for a processor, like the other main farm that goes to the farmer's market with us is Prairie Creek, which I think Prairie Creek Farms, which I think you've had on here before mm-hmm. with Nathaniel. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so we're all trying to figure out how to open up a process, another processing plant in Oklahoma. Wow. So the next step for our farm, I think, is to open up a processing plant. That way we can, if we, because we can't find anywhere to process chickens. Yeah. So I think that in the next couple of years, I think that's our biggest goal. Yeah. Oh, that, wow. Yeah, that would... That would be great. I know uh, you're probably familiar with Walt Jeffries up in uh, up in Vermont, and you know, he, yep. has, he has an on-farm processing facility. And and uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of merit to that of, of either having your own either on-farm or, or at least having control over one. I know uh, Joel Salatin. Um, I just listened to an interview with him the other day. He was talking about having partial ownership of a processing facility now in their area. So it um, gives you more control. Yeah. That's that's always been my frustration with. Uh, the raising pigs on pasture is um, you put all this work and effort into going from farrowing to finishing, and and then you got to turn it over to somebody, and they yeah. can really you know, either set you up or wreck your entire process if they they do it incorrectly. Yeah, because we've tried just in our state, we've tried every USDA processor, and most of them do an okay job, but um, we tried one he destroyed. Our product didn't do a good job. So if you don't have a good processor, you can do all the work of raising the pig right, and then he can just destroy it with cutting it up wrong and not doing what you ask. Yeah, yeah. Well, but processing, I think, is the major problem facing most small farms right now. Oh yeah, so. yeah. I mean, this—if anything—the the, one of the things this coronavirus has pointed out is the the fallacy of our food system and the regulation associated with it. So you know, hopefully, hopefully some, some wiser people will get together and help that out. But, uh, but it's going to be up to us small farmers just to, to figure it out on our own and, and come up with our own solutions, I believe. Yeah. Well, it's, it sounds like we, we've kind of hit, uh, I normally ask about goals, but it sounds like my, uh, yeah, we, we've kind of covered that. You've got a lot of, a lot of irons in the fire and a lot of, uh, neat things coming down the road. Are there any other long-term goals that, that you're thinking about that we haven't discussed yet for the farm? Um, our goals at Out West Farms is just to grow our numbers of animals that we process, and hopefully in the next year we'll be opening up a processing plants. That way we can start taking care of our own animals and take care of the other small farms in our area. But um, just we're trying to grow and expand and i think right now is the perfect time for if you're a small farm right now people see the how bad the food supply is and they see the opportunity for small farms yeah. so yeah excellent well, very good 
Well, Jake, I'm going to hit you with a question that I always hit everybody with, and and uh, a little existential question here is: What is your best experience or favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? My favorite part of raising pigs is the different personalities you'll get in a pig. They'll they're probably one of the most um, we've had probably a hundred pigs on farm right now through the through the time and every pig has a different personality and they'll come up to you and they want you to scratch them on the back of the head it's just the interaction that you can have with the pig because most cattle they don't care to be around but most pigs once they care to be around you they like interacting with you yeah so i guess my favorite part is the interaction you get with pigs excellent i like it very good very good well, how can, uh, if anybody wants to learn more about your operation, how can they find you online? Um, you can go to our Facebook page or Instagram, and it's just Outwest Farms. should bring you to, we should be at the top. Or you can go to our website, which is outwestfarmsok.com, and that'll take you to our website. It has all of our story about how we started, and about our family, and then it also allows you to order. Awesome. All right good deal well man i appreciate you taking the time from your delivery day today to to come on the podcast and talk with us sounds like you've got some exciting things going on and and may to may have to have you back on next year and see if you're uh, you're up to that 200 mark or if you've built a processing facility by then sounds good we appreciate it all right jake well have a great day have safe travels on the road all right Rob. i appreciate uh, jake sharing uh, his experience with us and his setup uh, that's always Exciting to talk to uh, producers in different parts of this, the the country, and of course, hear how everyone's handling the uh, the current pandemic situation and how it's affecting processing and and their uh, demand on their products. As far as updates here at Red Tool House, I'll just do a quick update. Uh, we've, uh, uh, as I'm recording this, we have just finished uh, taking all of our hogs for the year to to the processor. Uh, again, we do seasonal, so we're done for the season. And um, anxious to get our hanging weights back. We our first run we've gotten back and delivered to our customers and seem to be pretty satisfied. We're going to do a a full assessment of our year's uh, production, uh, do a cost analysis, do feed conversion, all that type of stuff. We're probably going to do that not only in a video on our YouTube channel, but we'll probably carry that over into a podcast. Uh, podcast, of course, allows me to get much much deeper in the weeds and get into some of those numbers, whereas the video will will kind of hit the higher elevation type stuff. Well, um, as you've noticed, uh, trying to get back on schedule here of, of uh, doing a, a podcast, probably going to be every other week for a while until we get into, um, uh, until we get into some <laughs> slower times, if there are such a thing. And honestly, in, until I can drum up additional interviews, I'm, I'm kind of hitting a dry spell there. So if you guys have... have know of somebody that I haven't talked to yet and you would want to recommend it, by all means, please do. You can email me, Troy, at Red Tool House, or you can use the contact form on redtoolhouse.com and and uh, suggest someone or suggest yourself. Again, you don't have to be a big producer. You don't have to have years and years of experience where we've got an interview coming up with um, uh, a young lady that's just getting into it. And it's just, it's neat to hear all the different experiences. So, um, uh, Feel free to reach out to me and and uh, let me know what I can do or how I can uh, come up with another topic or another person to interview. I'd, 
I'd like to keep the process rolling if we could. Well, I hope everyone has a great week out in the pasture, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.